If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this July 9th, 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of this show where you can still get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a true conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. In hour number two, we're joined by the former head of the Republican Party, Michael Steele, in an interview that was really good, better than even I expected. I wasn't sure what to expect. I've never spoken to Michael before. And, uh, you know, everything has changed in this post-Trump world. Uh, But uh, Michael and I have a uh, fascinating and rather entertaining conversation, which you do not want to miss, in hour number two. Hope you had a good 4th of July week. It was a big week in the Ziegler household, not just because of the 4th of July holiday, but because my five-year-old daughter, Grace, you remember her, she asked the existential question, of the 2016 election from a conservative perspective. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? And then she also explained why the old nationally syndicated Sunday night show had to go away. It's costing money! Right, so Grace has her finger on the pulse, but uh, it was a big week for her because she lost her first tooth. Her first baby tooth has uh, been lost. The tooth fairy uh, made the visit. Mom shed tears. Grace did not. So it was a big, big week as Grace becomes a big girl, no longer a little girl, although we still get the occasional whining, crying, and meltdowns associated with the little girl. So, but it's, it is fascinating, and also, I have to say, somewhat melancholy to see that transition from the little girl to the big girl, uh, which will be done in, you know, probably based upon what I can tell from other kids, by the time there's seven or eight, it's completely over uh by 12 you've lost them a hundred percent so i you know it's definitely thank goodness we have diana because without diana my wife would be a complete mess uh knowing that uh, this was gone forever but we get to go through it again with baby diana all right uh now every week when i prepare the podcast i think okay i'm gonna try to prioritize non-trump news I honestly, that's what I, that would be my preference. Like, I want to talk about things other than Trump. It's almost impossible. And obviously part of that is by design on his part, since he's a megalomaniac. But this week in particular, uh, there have been some things that have occurred, especially late in the week, that uh, make it impossible to uh, avoid the Trump news. And specifically, I'm referring to the meeting between Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Now, I wrote a column about this for Mediate, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. And the basic premise of the, of the column is, uh, folks, regardless of what the Trump cult believes, and the, the cult 45ers, they will believe him every time, no matter what he does. I mean, they will praise him. They would have praised Trump if he had gone in there and and beaten Vladimir Putin up like he was a CNN Mimi, uh, or if he had literally gotten down on his knees and kissed his ring, they would have praised him. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is because they have faith. They have this religious belief like a cult does 
that whatever Trump does is inherently good because he's a genius. Because why? Well, he beat the Wicked Witch of the West, Hillary Clinton, and like the Wizard of Oz, he is therefore, even though he's just the man behind the curtain, to them he's the Wizard of Oz. And they're the munchkins from Munchkinland. So that's the cult 45ers. But in the real world, Donald Trump got schooled. He got owned. He became the beta to Vladimir Putin's alpha. That's right. The big, bad, balls down to his knees, politically incorrect, great negotiator, the winner, Donald Trump, was made a bitch by Vladimir Putin. And it gives me no thrill to say that. Honestly, it does. And I know people probably think that it does. How invested in him losing. You know, I, my first and foremost priority here is the country. That's why I've been against Donald Trump since the beginning, because I think it's bad in the long-term interest of the country. And I believe I've been vindicated in that already and will be further vindicated as we go along here. So it does not give me pleasure to see Russia kick our ass in very important ways. Now, for me to make my case that Putin crushed Trump, first of all, I don't think it's very difficult, but let's first of all think about what would have it looked like had Trump won or at least held his own. So people I've learned are very bad at concocting alternative scenarios. I've, I've learned this in all walks of life. But let's think about what it would have looked like if Trump had not lost that meeting with Putin. He would have come out of there and he would have said, immediately held a press conference. He held no press conference, by the way. That's always a bad sign, especially for Trump. You, you get out of town without a press conference, that's a pretty good indication even you know you got your ass whooped. By the way, Putin had no problem speaking and laughing, literally laughing at what had transpired. So that, those, that's a pretty bad sign right off the bat. But more importantly, you would have held a press conference. You would have said, Vladimir Putin lied to me. He lied to me when I asked him whether or not Russia had influenced our election. He does not get it. And he and his country must be punished for what they did. And I will make sure that they are punished for what they did, even though I may have benefited from it. It doesn't matter because the country is more important than Donald Trump. And what's good for Donald Trump necessarily isn't good for the country. See, that's the fundamental problem. Assuming that Trump isn't in on the lie from the beginning and there was collusion from the start, which I still think is an open question, although I've never concluded that that was the case. But assuming we take that scenario off the table for a second, the fundamental problem Trump has here is in his mind, in the Donald Trump worldview, if something is good for Trump, either in result or intent, it cannot be bad. It cannot be punishable. It's, it's inherently good. If it's good for Trump in his world, that means it must be good. I'm being serious here. It cannot be bad. It's not even in his, his thought process. It's not even a, a potential outcome in his brain. What do you mean? It just literally doesn't compute. It's not in his DNA. How could this be bad? It was good for Trump. That's how he determines whether you're a good person or a bad person. What's your stance on Trump? So if your stance on Trump is pro-Trump, you must be good. You have to be good. And if you're Putin and you're much richer than he is financially and you're much more powerful than he is and you're pro-Trump, then in Trump's mind, what's the problem? He must be a great guy. And he wouldn't lie to my face because, you know, which has always been one of the stranger things about Trump. He's incredibly trusting of people he lets close to him, which is why everyone wants to be the last advisor to talk to him on any issue because they know they'll win the day. You would think that a guy who is a pathological liar would be more skeptical about what other people are telling him. But if you're pro-Trump, then you're inherently good. And if you're inherently good, you wouldn't lie to Trump because you're pro-Trump. See, this is the way his brain works. And so in his mind, Putin must have told the truth. 
Now, there's some debate as to how much pushback there was on this assertion that Russia didn't meddle. But let's look at the the results here, folks. There's no plan for further sanctions. Even Nikki Haley, the very anti-Russian hawk who heads up the U.N., was asked that question, and she said, well, you're going to have to ask the president, which means, yeah, that ain't going to happen. So no plans for further punishment. The word from Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, was, well, we decided we wanted to move on from that topic. Well, what does that tell you? Yeah, we ran away from it. We We let him believe what he said publicly. And there's been no contradiction of this by the White House that Putin said publicly, yeah, we believe that Trump took our word for it and believed us that there was no meddling in this election. Which, if that's the case, and you read between the lines here, it's obvious that that's the case. That means that the President of the United States, strap in for this one, folks, the President of the United States takes the word of Vladimir Putin over all of our major intelligence agencies. Now, how in the world could you possibly work for the CIA or the FBI or any of the other major intelligence agencies after that when our president has effectively publicly said, I believe Putin because he wouldn't lie to Trump to his face because he's he's pro-Trump. He's pro-Trump. Someone who's pro-Trump wouldn't lie to Trump. And Trump would know it if someone lied to Trump because Trump is Trump. Well, no. The reality is that Putin obviously lied. Trump has an incentive to accept that lie, even if there wasn't collusion, because he doesn't, he desperately doesn't want to believe the greatest achievement of his life, the defeating of Hillary Clinton, was somehow a fluke or had an asterisk asterisk next to it next to it. By the way, I'm not someone who believes, because there's no evidence of this at all, that actual votes were changed by Russian influence, but that doesn't mean it didn't have an impact on the election. Again, this goes to people's inability to create alternative scenarios in their minds. Let's pretend the WikiLeaks email leaks from the Clinton campaign and the DNC never existed. And by the way, also the fake news, people are, are discounting the fake news from Macedonia. The teenagers from Macedonia that clearly had Russian ties, those fake news stories had a massive impact on Facebook as well. You take away both of those things and the dynamic is different. The entire narrative is different. The, the landscape is different. Now, does that necessarily mean the outcome is different? No, but we're talking about an incredibly close election. Less than 100,000 votes in three states the other way. And Hillary Clinton is president. So this idea that, well, he would have won anyway, is it's not knowable for sure. And it's certainly not for sure. It's not certain. Not close to certain. And you can make a rational argument that it's not accurate. But Trump has an incentive to buy what Putin is selling him. But he's going way beyond that. Way beyond that. Not only is he allowing this to be the perception publicly that he believes Putin over our own intelligence agencies, he's now suggesting, and he did so on Twitter today, and I'm not making this up. I mean, you just, you cannot possibly make this up. He's suggesting that the United States and Russia join forces in a cyber security task force to prevent this kind of thing from happening again in the future. But wait a minute. I know this is using logic, which is really dangerous in this day and age, but why do we need to prevent this in the future if Trump believes that Putin is correct in saying it never happened to begin with? We don't need this, right? It never happened. So why bother? I mean, this is this is like third-grade logic, folks. But it's way worse than that. As Lindsey Graham said on Meet the Press this morning, this might not be the worst idea I've ever heard, 
but it's close. <laughs> that's that's conservative Republican Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, who is a sometimes Trump critic. And though he boy does he he tries to find areas in which he can kiss Trump's ass because he needs to have the political cover to do so. But on this one, he's like, uh-uh. this is a really bad idea for obvious reasons. I, I mean, Putin has to be, he's already laughing publicly. He has to be laughing privately that this is even an idea that our intelligence agencies are going to work with, <laughs> with Russian intelligence to prevent cyber attacks when it's only going to make it easier for them because guess what they're going to get? They're going to, they, they would get under this scenario enormous amounts of intelligence. <laughs> so I, I, even I can't believe this is actually going to happen and why Trump is doing it. I don't fully understand. I mean, it's awfully consistent with the theory that Russia has something on him. And that's why he's been very pro Putin from the beginning that he's afraid of pissing them off, so he's become their stooge. I don't know that, but boy, it's hard to find something inconsistent with that theory. And at, at a certain point, all these data points, and some of them are continuing right up until today with news that Donald Trump Jr., Paul Manafort, the campaign head, and Jared Kushner, his son, Trump's son-in-law, all met last June with a Kremlin-linked lawyer in Trump Tower. Now, that's mind-blowing right off the start. But it, that's just the beginning. Donald Trump Jr. said he took the meeting not knowing with whom he was meeting. Now, what does that tell you? This, the, the, uh, this, we got to remember the context here. The... Nomination was basically won at this point, although not a hundred percent official. They're they're preparing for a general election battle. These are very busy people, and they take a meeting with a Kremlin-linked lawyer. They don't even know who it is. Again, it's the campaign manager. It's the candidate's son and his son-in-law, <laughs> and the. The supposed topic of the meeting was adoptions. Now, is it possible that Russian adoptions were discussed? Yeah. Guess why? Because Russian adoptions are a key point regarding the sanctions against Russia. So here's what being incredibly generous, incredibly open-minded here, which I've honestly bent over backwards to be, because if the same factual record existed against Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama on this Russia collusion thing, our side on a 24-7, 365 basis would be on fire, and rightfully so. So I've been trying to be open-minded, but as open-minded as I can be here, the real topic of conversation was the sanctions and Russia wanting the sanctions lifted if Trump won. Now, why is that important? Well, now we have the makings of a quid pro quo. Now we have an explanation for why it is that Russia would then, just coincidentally, help Donald Trump defeat Hillary Clinton. Now you've got the makings of a sensible, if you want to call it conspiracy, and I'm an anti-conspiracy person, but this is a fairly small one, and one where everyone's interests are aligned and where there's a lot of smoke that it actually may have gone down this way, now you have a sensible theory. But this is, this is not in a vacuum. This is happening constantly. It is hard for me to find a data point that is completely inconsistent at this, at this juncture with the theory of collusion, which once again, I have never, ever said I am convinced happened. Because it's just so mind-blowing. It's trying to wrap your head around it, it. It just makes you insane. Although, you also have to remember the context 
that under this theory, that if this actually happened, it makes some sense to me because I don't think the Trump people ever thought they would win. And therefore, if they're not going to win, it do- in their minds, it doesn't really matter. We're making good contacts with the Russians where we'd like to do business in the future. And oh, by the way, it's not as if Trump didn't lie about releasing his tax returns. I mean, that, I mean, there's two things you can never get beyond when it comes to Trump and Russia. He didn't release his tax returns even after elected, after having promised to do so numerous times. And he fired the FBI director and the next day told a Russian spy in the Oval Office that it was because he wanted to get rid of the Russian investigation. I'm sorry. <laughs> Come up with an ex- I'm, I'm I am really open to it. Give me an explanation. I'd love to hear an explanation that explains those two things, especially with all the other data points, that excludes the collusion theory. I don't think you can do it. Now, back to the meeting with Trump and Putin. The other sign that this went really badly, and this was my favorite part of the entire story, is that the U.S. officials who were not allowed in the room, and it's important to point out, only Trump, Tillerson, and a translator were allowed in the room, which is pretty scary when you consider the fact Trump has never done anything like this before. Tillerson, you know, you could argue maybe has, because he's a buddy of Putin's, and as the head of Exxon, he's done you know high high profile meetings like this, but he's new to diplomacy. The translator probably has way more experience than either Trump or Tillerson in something like this. But the meeting was going longer than was expected, was scheduled for. So I can just imagine the U.S. officials nervous. I mean, they're, they're they got to be nervous as hell to begin with, right? They have no idea what Trump's going to do, what he's going to say. The longer this goes on, the more bad things can happen. And so what do they do? They get a brilliant idea. Let's send in Melania Trump to see if she can stop the meeting. Because, again, if you're afraid of what might happen, inherently, the longer it goes on, the worse things can get. Especially when you consider Trump's minuscule attention span <laughs> by by the end of the meeting trump is so bored he might just agree to anything just just to get it over with so they send melania in and apparently she's unsuccessful in trying to stop the meeting and it goes on for another hour or so thereabouts so it goes way beyond what's scheduled now this reminded me of a movie and there's so many different parallels to this, but it reminded me of a, of a famous scene in Rocky Four, when Apollo Creed is fighting Ivan Drago, and you know in this case Creed is Donald Trump. And there are actually some similarities between Apollo Creed and, and Donald Trump as far as the showman and the ego are concerned, and Ivan Drago is the Russian killing machine, and he's obviously Vladimir Putin. And we got the Russian officials who are terrified of what's happening to, uh, you know, I'm sorry, you got the United States officials who are terrified what's happening to Apollo Creed uh, in his battle with Ivan Drago. So they scream at Melania to, to stop the fight. Stop the fight. Just like Apollo Creed's trainer did. You remember this? This is what it sounded like in Rocky IV when Apollo Creed's trainer was yelling at Rocky to throw in the towel to stop the fight because he realized this was going to end badly. Yeah, let's hear that again because I don't think we got the good audio. Well, that's not the the audio we want. Yeah, throw the damn towel. They're, They're desperate. The U.S. officials are outside the meeting. Desperate. That, oh, my God, this has got to end badly. Throw the damn towel, Melania. Melania was ineffective at throwing the towel. The meeting went on, and now we have the rest is history, which is history will record that Donald Trump, the president of the United States, absolved Vladimir Putin from meddling in our election because Putin denied it to him. Because you know, a vigorous denial pretty much will get you off the hook of any crime. I mean, seriously. 
seriously. And and I, I, I will continue to say this on a weekly basis. The hypocrisy by the Fox News channels and the right-wing so-called formerly conservative talk show hosts on this issue is as profound as it can possibly get. Because if anything like this ever happened with Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton, we would be going batshit fucking crazy on a daily basis. My God, you're letting them off the hook. You're believing a liar, a lying killer. A lying killer. That's who Vladimir Putin is. You're believing a lying killer with a massive incentive to lie over our own intelligence agencies and basic logic. And then you're contradicting that by proposing a mutual cybersecurity task force with Russia where they would actually be in a better position to do this to us again in the future. And oh, by the way, they will do this to us again in the future. And who knows which side they'll be helping next time. It could just as easily be the Democratic Party because they want chaos. They want a lack of faith in our system. That's how they know they can best destroy us from within. And boy, they're doing a hell of a job. This is working out better than they could ever possibly have imagined. Ever. Regardless of whether or not they really have a P-tape on Donald Trump or not. So, uh, I, I believe Lindsey Graham used the word disaster. I think, it was, I think it was disaster. It might have been debacle, but I think it was disaster to describe the Trump-Putin meeting. I think that's putting it mildly. I think that's being nice. Donald Trump got owned. He got schooled. He got made Vladimir Putin's bitch, and there will be repercussions for this many, for many, in all likelihood, many years to come. I don't know in what, what form those repercussions, those consequences are going to take, but they will exist. I don't know when, but they will exist. Now, as far as the, the entire issue of the Trump collusion with Russia thing, I want to make it very clear once again, I don't know. I don't have an answer. One of the reasons why I'm becoming more and more suspicious is not just because of all these data points that are seemingly inexplicable, but why is it that the explanations are always so just... They're just flat out ridiculous. They're insane. There ought to be a good explanation for why all these people met with Russian officials and didn't disclose it. What's the explanation? Why won't anyone... Give it to us. Why won't anyone answer questions? Well, probably because they don't have a good explanation and they're afraid of answering questions because there's a special counsel and they could put themselves in jeopardy. I, I mean, I will say this, though. Here, here's one uh, issue that came out this week that is not, a, in my view, a data point for Russian collusion. Rachel Maddow of MSNBC, who has been more at the forefront of this issue than anybody else. I mean, she has been all over Russian collusion since moment one and has been riding this horse to tremendous ratings, which is all she really cares about. But she's been riding this horse for tremendous, to tremendous ratings for quite a while. This week, she revealed that her show had been sent a bombshell top-secret document that proved Russian collusion in a very clear and massive way. But they did not run the story because it turned out that the document was a forgery. And I actually watched the entire 20-minute clip on YouTube of Rachel Maddow explaining this, and it was a fascinating story. But because Rachel Maddow has an incentive for this story to be real. And because she sees everything through the prism of the story being real, either because she really believes it or because she just wants to believe it because it's in her self-interest too. She sees this story as further proof that collusion existed because someone is actively trying to discredit the news media on this issue, thinking that they'll jump on a fake Trump-Russia collusion story 
and that will discredit them in the future going forward, and that someone would only do that at a top level if there was something to hide. From an intellectual standpoint, I get where she's coming from. That makes some sense. Except there's at least two problems, which she doesn't either get or doesn't want to get. Number one, it appears as if this document was a poor forgery or a a very bad scam. In other words, it wasn't done particularly well. And if this was done at the highest levels, it would have been done in a much more efficient, much more professional manner than this. Number two, in conjunction with the fact that this was not a particularly good forgery of top-secret documents, so proving so-called collusion between Trump and Russia, I wonder if it ever occurred to Maddow and the producers in MSNBC that a document that was emailed blindly to a website set up for this purpose by a television show is not exactly the place that someone who had incredibly sensitive, top-secret, bombshell documents was going to use. I mean, that's really the the first sign a document is fake is that it's being emailed (laughs) to a website set up by a television show where the person sending the document has no idea whatsoever who's going to read it. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. It's absurd. But I don't think that the people at MSNBC realize that. I think they think that somehow, well, you know, we're just creating an avenue for people to share information. Well, no. Please keep your goddamn thinking caps on. If you really had that kind of information, you would not blindly email it, having no idea, by the way, you know, what the the fingerprint would be, how easily it would be traced back to them, who was going to read it. No. Here's what would happen. You would have an intermediary. If you had that kind of bombshell, you would have an intermediary meet directly with Rachel Maddow, and there would be a negotiation. And you would be able to get that kind of audience or access because you would know you had something real. And you'd be able to prove that you had something real. Doing it this way is is effectively admitting this is a fake. (laughs) Because if that was real, you would have to be a complete idiot in order to provide the document in that fashion. So, in my opinion, Maddow is, in her own self-interest, she's misinterpreting what happened there. That is not further evidence that there is this sinister plot to try to sabotage the media's credibility on this issue because the story is real. I will say, however, and this goes to why Maddow was thinking this, there's no question that Trump's crusade against, quote-unquote, fake news is absolutely consistent with this kind of strategy. All I know is what's on the Internet. I mean, which is kind of funny for a guy who goes against fake news on on a daily basis against the Washington Post, CNN, and and the New York Times. All I know is what's on the Internet. Yeah, the... the, I mean, it's really, it's quite unbelievable, really. I love the poorly educated. But you don't expect any consistency, or at least you shouldn't expect any consistency from Donald Trump. But I digress. There's no question that the whole fake news thing, which he has absolutely used on Russia more than any other topic, is consistent with a guy who is afraid about what's going to come out and he needs to inoculate himself, or at least with his cult, against any future revelations because his cult won't believe anything because, after all, That's just fake news, even when sometimes it's verified by the White House. Like, for instance, the story, which I can never get over, of the Russian spy in the Oval Office being told by Trump that he fired Comey to get rid of the Russian investigation. That is a story that has never been even remotely disputed by the White House. Therefore, it's true. And yet there are Trumpsters who do not believe it. 
I see this all the time on Twitter and Facebook. So, all right, enough of uh, Trump and Russia. I, there were a couple other things I um, I wanted to mention before uh, this first hour of the program is up that don't at least directly uh, deal with Trump, although this one certainly indirectly does. I wrote another column at Media about this controversy this week, which certainly is related to the whole fake news thing, involving CNN and the source of that video that exploded last weekend of Trump taking on in a pro wrestling video, uh, what uh, I guess you would call is CNN because the CNN logo is put over the guy's head and Trump beats the crap out of him in in an actual video from an old pro wrestling event that Trump took part in back when he never thought there was any chance in hell he would run for president. And the reason why this controversy broke out this week was that CNN was able to identify who the Reddit user who created the video was his, no lie, his username was Han Solo, only with the word ass in the middle of it. So it was Han Ass Solo was this guy's username. The president of the United States is taking videos from anonymous Reddit users named Han Ass Solo and tweeting them and being retweeted over 300,000 times and making international news. That's the world we now live in, folks. Congratulations, everybody. Good work. Good work, everyone. Drive home safely. So uh, anyway, here's where the story gets interesting and, in my view, rather bizarre. And that is that uh, CNN identifies this person because, and this is important, although this got forgotten this week, this person bragged about being the source of the video. Now, if we use logic, and I realize logic has long ago, you know, that's left the building. We, we don't, it's like the dinosaurs now. Logic has no place. Truth and logic has no place, especially in a post-Trump world. But in a logical world, if you are anonymous and you take credit for being the source of a massive international news story involving the president of the United States using your work. That means that you have no expectation to remaining anonymous. None. Zero. And so CNN rightfully tried to track down the person. And they figured out who he was. And they also figured out that he'd been sharing some rather controversial and potentially racist stuff. Now, apparently this guy, a middle-aged man, he was reported as being on the Internet. (laughs) All I know is what's on the Internet. On the Twitters, uh, people, the Trumpsters started claiming he was 15 years old. There's no indication he's 15 years old. Apparently he's a middle-aged man. Uh, He... um, apparently begged CNN, once they found out who he was, to not reveal his identity. Be, you know, and I can understand why he wouldn't want his identity to be known, but that doesn't mean he has a right for his identity to be, to be known. I, I don't know where we got this idea that we have a sacred right to anonymity in this country, to speak publicly while being anonymous. When did that happen? Where did that come from? Especially when you're involved in massive international news stories. I mean, that is just... It's just flat out ridiculous. It's absurd. It's made up. And I don't think it's coincidence that a lot of these Trump fans on Twitter and Facebook are anonymous themselves, and therefore, well, not really Facebook, but definitely Twitter. They're almost all anonymous. So they had like this double kinship with this jackass. that They want to be able to remain anonymous too. Well, no, that's not a right. So apparently he begged to remain anonymous and CNN cut him a break. They decided not to report his identity. But in explaining why they decided not to report his identity, CNN did something really stupid, which apparently the reporter on the story didn't even have anything to do with. At the very end of the statement that CNN put out, they basically made it sound like that they were going to remain, keep this guy anonymous unless he broke his promise to not uh, post any more racist stuff, in which case they reserved the right 
to reveal his identity. Now, people took this, and I can understand why they took it this way, especially when, let's face it, they're Trumpsters, so they desperately want to defend this guy. They desperately want to hate CNN. They People inherently, but especially Trumpsters, they always want to believe what they wanted to believe in the first place. They, need a, a, they want a reason to justify their original beliefs or feelings. And so... Here we have a combustible situation where all these people want to hate on CNN. They want to defend this guy. And so this was the aha. So what CNN's really doing is they're blackmailing this guy. They're threatening him. What? No. They gave this guy a break. They were being humane. And and this is not even a question. They had every right to name him, every right, and they did not do so. But they got clobbered because they needed, in their minds, to hold open the option. See, because here's the problem. Let's say they make the deal with this guy. All right, you know what? You weren't a public figure before the Trump video, so things you did before then, we're going to give you a pass on. There's logic to that. But if in the future, now that you are a newsmaker, you post-racist stuff, we have the right, we hold open the option to reveal your identity. That makes sense. It's a little too nuanced for the average Trump Trumpster, but that makes sense because let's pretend they didn't do that. And then the guy says, all right, screw you all. You know, I, I made this promise to keep my anonymity. And now I broke the promise. Well, and then CNN reveals him. Then they look like, the jackass. So I understand why CNN did it. It was incredibly poorly worded, but I, I get it. And there was no threat. The guy himself said he didn't feel threatened. It's not blackmail for someone to be warned, hey, if you do this, we're going to have to reveal your identity. That's not blackmail. There's nothing illegal about that. And, it, and this got to absurd Levels. Ted Cruz, a supposed constitutional scholar and future Supreme Court justice, even tweeted that CNN might have broken the law. What? What? What has happened to us? We have lost our goddamn fucking minds over this guy, Trump. That's what's happened here. We, we no longer have the ability to make analogies. We've lost basic logic. We don't understand the law anymore. It's all about feelings. This is the way liberals are supposed to act, not conservatives. I mean, the reaction to this whole thing was incredibly liberal, which makes me think, by the way, that the core of Trump's support, they're not remotely conservative. They just hate the man. They just hate their lives. And he's a vehicle through which they can express their anger at their lot in life. That's really at the essence of the Trump support. Plus, they like the entertainment aspect. They like giving the, the middle finger to the, to the man that has them down. That's what really this is all about. And I, and I understand the Trumpster very well because my wife's entire freaking family is a Trumpster. It's a, it, is a, it is scary. It is scary. They all have the full-on Trump virus. My, 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 my mother-in-law, I ask her where her tax cut is and where the wall is, and she just, you know, she, she doesn't want to talk to me. You know? <laughs> I mean, it, it, is a, it is a disaster waiting to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm heading on a week-long, I'm actually heading on two different vacations with elements of my wife's family. If we get through that or if I get through that, it's going to be a freaking miracle considering the, the level of, Trumpster virus that, and I'm and I'm I'm convinced that my wife, who has a little bit of the virus, not a lot, she she's been able to keep it under control with you know vaccinations and with medication, but uh, I'm 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 afraid that it might flare up like shingles. You know, she has it. She's it's in there. Like the chicken pox is in there, but the shingles could flare up full blown at any moment, and then my life is basically over. But I digress. The point here is. CNN did nothing that was all that wrong except put out a statement that was poorly poorly worded. They gave this guy a break. And if you're interested in more of why I'm sure I'm right about that, go to freespeechbroadcasting.com and read my column about that. 
couple other uh, things before the hour is done, and, and these actually have nothing to do with Trump. I was amused that the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, of which I am a former member, I now refer to myself as a recovering Catholic, they announced this weekend that it is no longer allowed for hosts, you know, what uh, Catholics get at communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the Eucharist, that the host, the bread that is used, can no longer be gluten-free. Now, I found this to be hilarious on so many different levels. What difference at this point does it make? Um, It's a good question. Uh, One of the reasons why that's a good question is that this is the whole issue of transubstantiation. And I have quite a history with transubstantiation because it's really at the cornerstone for why I'm no longer a Catholic. I don't know that most Catholics and certainly most non-Catholics understand what the official church teaching is on transubstantiation. The Catholic church still to this day, and this gluten-free host thing is consistent with this, this theory, although I'm not quite sure exactly how, but the, the, the belief on the Catholic church is that every time a priest says the blessing over the bread and wine, it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. Literal, not figurative, literal. As a matter of fact, technically, at least according to my good Catholic priests at Holy Ghost Prep in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, technically, you're not even supposed to be allowed to take the bread and wine unless you believe that you are literally eating the body of Jesus Christ and drinking his blood because the bread and wine has been, through transubstantiation, transformed into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, it's always blown my mind that no one has the balls to take this to the natural, logical conclusion. Oh, so... Every single Mass, every Sunday, millions of Catholics, hundreds of millions of Catholics across the world, they cannibalize their God. They cannibalize their God, because that's what, if you believe it, that's what's happened. I, um, at Georgetown University, this was um, way ahead of my time. This was back in the, uh, what was it, 1980, must have been 89, since when I graduated, I was the host of the annual variety show called Cabaret at Georgetown. And one of the comedy bits that I did was that I created a circumstance where a a priest had lost the ability to do transubstantiation. And uh, and one of the things, (laughs) this didn't, it went over not real well in in certain aspects of Georgetown, which is an allegedly a Catholic school. But um, we had a lot of fun with this whole idea of the magic that's being performed over the bread and wine. And it's always baffled me. Why has no one ever done a DNA test on the, when when they came up with transubstantiation, no one ever thought that there would be a way to prove or disprove that it's the body or blood of Jesus Christ. So why don't we just do a DNA test, have a priest commit, you know, not commit, but to perform transubstantiation and then compare the DNA of the bread and the wine before transubstantiation and after. Gee, I, I wonder I wonder what the results of that might be. I, I wonder if there would be any change at all in the substance. The word transubstantiation. I wonder if the substance of it, the DNA, would change at all. I'm pretty much willing to bet both my daughter's lives that uh, no, there would be there would be no change. That it's all a bunch of baloney. But see, the Catholic Church now has got itself caught, as they have done on numerous occasions. They've gotten themselves caught because they they can't ever admit that they're wrong on something this important because this is like, that would be like saying God was wrong. So now they have to come up with rationalization after rationalization. And so now they've come up with this, well, the host can't be gluten-free. What What difference would it make? What it is, because you're transforming it from whatever it was to the body of Jesus. Does the lack of gluten prevent the process from working? 
That's my major question. That's the one thing I would ask the Pope if I had the opportunity. So, so does the lack of gluten in the host prevent the process of transubstantiation from actually working? This is, I mentioned that I've had quite a history with transubstantiation. If you listen to the Father's Day podcast, I uh, interviewed my father in an interview that was interesting, but not as good as it could have been because he was incredibly politically correct. But I'd urge you to take a listen to it if, if you're interested, hour number two from Father's Day this year. Anyway, when my father divorced my mother for the second time, although I didn't realize it was a second time back then, I, this, I learned that there was a first divorce many years later. But when he divorced her for real, after having four kids and being married for 20 years, he sought an annulment from my mother in the Catholic Church. An annulment means that the... the uh, marriage never actually existed. Yet, in the magic of the Catholic Church, the children that resulted from this marriage that never existed aren't actually bastards. <laughs> Go figure that one out for it. You know, but that's classic Catholicism right there. So I'm not technically a bastard, although some would disagree. But that's another story for another day. But so, uh, so he seeks an annulment to say that the marriage never actually existed. Why? Because he wants to get remarried within the church. So I interviewed my father about this back when I was on radio in Nashville, Tennessee, WWTNFM in Nashville, Tennessee, doing an evening talk show. And for some reason, the issue of annulments was in the news, and I asked him to do an interview. And I think because he wanted to get rid of some of his guilt, uh, you know, Catholic guilt, he decided to, to do it. And so he... Um, does the interview, and and I, I mean, I went after him so much harder back then than I did in the Father's Day interview this year. I was super nice to him this time around. But back then I said, okay, so let's follow the logic here. You want to get an annulment so you can remain in the Catholic Church? I said, he said, yeah. He said, okay, but what does that actually mean? I mean, no one's going to prevent you from going to Mass. It's not like at the door front, they prevent people who have been divorced and remarried without an annulment from entering. There's, it's not like you have to have a passport to get into Catholic mass. He said, no, I, I understand. I could go to mass, but he said, I want to be able to take the sacraments. And I said, Oh, you want to take the sacraments? You mean like you want to be able to take communion? He said, yeah. He says, I would, I would not be allowed to take communion because I, you know, I don't, I forget what's actually called, but you know, if you were to be remarried uh, and not have an annulment, then you would be living in sin within the church, and therefore you would not be worthy of taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing. I, again, I'm forgetting what the actual term is. But here's the problem. I said, Dad, you don't really believe that when you go to communion that you're receiving the actual literal body and blood of Jesus Christ, do you? And he said, no, I don't. I said, well, Dad, by church teaching, you're already not allowed to take communion. And he didn't have a real good answer for that one. But this is, this is, this is for one of, one of many reasons why I don't believe in organized religion. Because if you're representing God, you've at least got to be consistent. There has to be some semblance of logic and consistency to it all. Because after all, you're dealing with an all, a supposedly all-knowing, all-powerful figure. The reality is that you get caught up, These all religions do, but I'm most familiar with Catholicism because I grew up in that tradition and went to Catholic high school and allegedly Catholic college. All these religions get caught in these logical fallacies because they're all based in bullcrap. Now, can they be effective in helping people live their lives and, and society be less dangerous than it would be without organized religion? Absolutely. I do not want to live in a world where people do not believe in any God or organized religion. In fact, I think that's one of the most under-talked about things that's happening in our society. I think it's even a small part of why Trump got elected. I don't think people, I think there's a ton of people out there who may go to church, they may be part of a religion, they might claim to believe in God, but in reality, they don't. I, I you know, I, I truly believe that one of the things that's happened in the last generation or so is that a lot of people, for some good reasons and some bad, have realized that organized religion is not based in reality. And that has devastating consequences that are negative. So this might be one of those areas where truth is not always the best <laughs> because I want the masses. The masses are asses, as we've learned. 
uh, especially with regard to Trump. But the, the, the average person in this country, I want to believe in religion or God or that they will be punished for what they do, at least in an afterlife, if not here. Because if all of society is basing their actions only on what they think they'll be punished for here now on this earth, we are screwed. We, we, are, we are just a, a, a small leap from total chaos. So keep that in mind. Even, you know, even though I don't believe in quote-unquote organized religion, I actually do believe that organized religion has an enormous value. And, um, and so he, that sounds like it's a conflict, but it's really not because I'm one of those people who would act in, in at least a somewhat moral way, regardless of whether or not I think there's an afterlife. I wish, my goodness, I wish there was an afterlife because there's no justice here on earth. So if, if there's a place after this where there's some semblance of justice, I'm all in. I, I would be the first person to be all in on that. Unfortunately, I don't believe in that. All right, um, real quick. Sunday night, uh, the uh, History Channel has a controversial documentary on the Amelia Earhart story that I wanted to mention because it got an enormous amount of play this week in a way that I think is emblematic of how the news media screws up almost every big story. On Wednesday, NBC, the History Channel, and a bunch of other news media outlets jumped all over the bombshell revelation from this documentary that there's a photograph of Amelia Earhart, for those who do not know who Amelia Earhart was, she was the most famous female pilot of her time in 1937. She and her co-pilot went down in the Pacific Ocean after having said they were running out of gas. They were never heard from again. They've never been found. And there's been all sorts of theories as to what really happened. Well, all of a sudden, we've learned that in this documentary, there's a photograph It's an amazing photograph, although it might be completely irrelevant. But it was reported on Wednesday a photograph has been found of a woman that somewhat fits the description of Amelia Earhart, a guy who more fits the description of her co-pilot, and a plane being pulled into a dock in a Japanese island not far from where they were last spotted. That's an amazing set of coincidences, right? It's incredible. I mean, just from a pure coincidental standpoint, the idea that you have a woman, you can't see her face, but it's, it appears to be a woman with short hair, hair consistent with Amelia Earhart's hair, because you know at the time, women didn't wear their hair short, uh, and she's clearly a white woman, and this was an Asian island, and a white guy who fits the description of her co- uh, co-pilot, and a plane that appears to be about the right size, that's amazing. And I'm the first to go, okay, I'm listening. I'm, I'm listening. This is, this is an amazing coincidence for it not to be real. And I was waiting for there to be a rebuttal because, you know, there have been people who have dedicated their lives to this story. And there, it, there wasn't a rebuttal right away. And I was a little confused by that. So I started to buy in. I'm like, could this really be real? I and mean, then there's a ton of questions I have that don't seem to make sense. One of them, one of them, by the way, is the two people in the photograph look like they're lounging around on a day in the dock. They do not appear to be remotely stressed or in ca- captivity or you know having just survived a plane crash in the Pacific. I mean, there's nothing, nothing remotely consistent with that. But again, if the photo is real. It's a hell of a coincidence. Well, shortly thereafter, there was a rebuttal. And it turns out that this photo was found uh, in a stash in the National Archives of stuff that was no longer classified, but it was in a file that was listed as 1940. Now, that's a massive problem because Amelia Earhart went down in 1937. That's way too late, way too late for the photo to be legitimate. That's number one. I read another article today where an expert seems to have both credibility as well as some reasons behind his belief. He believes the photo was actually way before 1937 because none of the the ships in the port have a Japanese flag on them, which they would have had in 1937. 
I, I look at things a little bit differently. Those kind of details, look, is it possible that the photo just got put in the wrong file and it actually is 1937? Yeah, that's possible. But here's what's not possible. And this, I already mentioned this in this hour. I find this all the time. People, I don't understand, because for me, this has always been easy. So to me, I think it's not that big of a deal. But it, it feels as if human beings have a very difficult time taking new information and then thinking about what that would mean in the big picture. Let's pretend the photo is real. I'm willing to accept that as possible. Here's what's not possible. You mean to tell me that the Japanese, just before World War II, have Amelia Earhart in captivity and never mention this to anyone? To anyone. I, the logical uh, result here would be she's a golden propaganda tool. I mean, if, if nothing else, but for bragging rights. Hey, we saved Amelia Earhart. We've got her in captivity. Here she is making a hostage video talking about how great we are. None of that. The second scenario, let's pretend for some reason. Let's pretend for some bizarre reason the Japanese didn't want to do that, which makes no sense, but okay, sometimes people do things that make no sense. Let, and let's pretend somehow she and her co-pilot both die, even though they're young people, uh, of natural causes. Because the Japanese would have no reason to kill these incredibly valued propaganda tools. So they both die, like, I don't know, nat- somehow natural causes? I, that, that seems really far-fetched. But here's my larger point. This is not a secret that could have been kept. There is no possible way that after all these years, and also, you have to remember, after this happens, there's a war. <laughs> okay, the, the entire Japanese form of government changes the, the, in, the, in the decades following. They no longer have a king. So it's not as if, it's not as if, let's say you knew that this had happened. And many people would have to know that Amelia Earhart was in captivity. Over time, in the change of the regime and the loss of the war, people would no longer fear the repercussions for giving up this secret. And I realize that the Japanese culture is different, but I'm sorry. I just do not believe. Without, here's the bottom line. If this had happened, there would have been a lot more evidence that it happened. That's the bottom line. This is this would not be a stray photograph. If we have a photograph of them waiting for their their plane to be brought into dock, <laughs> even though the photo is interesting and the guy who took the photo apparently was later killed for being a spy, which I do find compelling, there would be other evidence. And I'm going to watch the documentary, but from what I can tell, there isn't mountains of other evidence. Which then leads me to my final point of the podcast, which this week is the fifth anniversary of the so-called free report in the Penn state case, which as you probably know, I have been investigating literally for the last five years. Framingpaterno.com is almost exactly now five years old. It's been the worst five years of my life uh, in many, many ways because of this case, which I've learned is complete bull crap at every level, but that's really the essence if I had to explain in one sentence how I know that the whole Penn State cover-up theory especially, which is what Louis Free, former FBI director, was paid by Penn State to come up with and came out with the free report five years ago this week, if I had to come up with one sentence to prove that it's ridiculous, it's that if any of this had been true, like a lot like the Amelia Earhart thing, if that photo was real, if any part of this Penn State story was real, that five years later, after all these investigations, after all this scrutiny, after all this money, after all these people having an incentive to come forward and tell the truth, to tell their story, there would be a mountain of evidence that this happened. It would be like O.J. Simpson evidence. And yet, there's nothing. Because it didn't happen. It was all fantasy. It was all a way 
for the news media to substantiate their original rush to judgment against Joe Paterno, his firing, his death thereafter, Jerry Sandusky's conviction, and they put out the pom-poms for Louis Free, who got paid millions of dollars by Penn State, who needed a reason for why they fired their legendary coach and then facilitated his death. That's what really happened. If you're interested in the story, go to framingpaterno.com. By the way, speaking of O.J. Simpson, by the next time we speak, because I'm not going to do the podcast next weekend, but I will be back in two weeks. By that point, O.J. Simpson will have had his parole hearing. So, um, barring other major news, at that uh, podcast, the two weeks from now, I will tell you the real full story, which I've never done before, about uh, my small role in why O.J. Simpson is currently in prison uh, in light of his parole hearing, which many people think will eventually lead to his release. Boy, the media will hate that, won't they? All right, that'll do it for hour number one. Hour number two is Michael Steele. Make sure you listen to that. Please share this uh, podcast via social media and word of mouth. And uh, do me one other favor. Actually, do yourself a favor. If you're one of those people who likes to sleep, and when you sleep, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.